I'll be coming for her. And I'll be coming for you, too. Sure you will. And I'll be waiting. You are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before. Where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun. Where the beautiful... See the show, it's really good. The brutal. I want Tom Cody. And the brave all meet. From now on, it's for real. In Streets of Fire. Hey everybody, it's the Cannon Cruisers, I'm JD, I'm Randy, and this is another exciting installment of the non-canonical adventures of JD and Randy. Today we're talking about a movie from 1984, Streets of Fire, starring Michael Pere. And a very young Diane Lane. As well as Rick Moranis. And Amy Madrigan. And Bill Pullman. And it's Bill Paxton, you idiot! <laughs> I always have to do that one. And most importantly of all... You said Rick Moranis, right? I already William Defoe. William Defoe as the villain. As the villain. So this written, by, directed by, and written by mm-hmm. Walter Hill, uh, most well known for things like Forty Eight Hours, The Warriors, Another Forty Eight Hours. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty much exactly what you would expect from a guy who made those movies. Yeah. So this is called a subtitled a rock and roll fable. It is not a musical, despite what some people might say. Like from the Wikipedia, they claim that this film is a mix of a musical, action, neo-noir, drama, and comedies, with elements of retro 1950s woven into then-current 1980s themes. It does have a lot of those segments of it, but it's not a musical, as in nobody just breaks into song in the middle of a plot point. It's not that kind of a thing. The music occurs diagenically. It occurs as them seeing concerts. It doesn't occur as... The characters using it to get their emotions out. A rock and roll fable implies that it's a movie based on rock and roll, which... It It was, because the title is taken from (laughs) the Bruce Springsteen song, Streets of Fire. It's it's a movie about a guy who comes in out of town to rescue his old flame from a gang of bikers and the trouble that ensues from said gang. I would also like to point out that this movie is pretty heavily influential on a lot of different things. But we might want to go into that one a bit later. No, we can we can lead off with that right away. It's like this is the this is literally the inspiration for the games from Capcom and from Sega, Streets of Rage and Final Fight. It's a, inspirational on a lot of things from anime like Bubblegum Crisis itself inspired a lot of cyberpunk anime and cyberpunk books and stuff later on. It also inspired a lot of video games, including the entire beat-em-up genre from people like Capcom with Final Fight, who Cody, the main character, is named after Cody from this movie. And the outfit worn by (laughs) Diane Lane in this movie, where she plays Eileen Ames, is also uh, worn by one of the uh, damsels in distress in either of those two games that I can't remember. Yep, there's a lot of different things that came from this movie, but... What it is, is a movie about a guy trying to rescue a girl from bad guys. That's more or less the plot of the movie. Yeah. 
And it clocks in at roughly 98 minutes. It's pretty standard length movie. It was, um, it's an action movie. It's a neo-noir. It's like Randy said, all those different things in its own, kind of its own universe. It starts with the whole opening that says another time, another place, which again is a, another thing, a lot of uh, things that have used before and after since then. I should say not before then. But it's obviously also made by the guy who did the Warriors. You can tell by the whole set of the, the movie. It's very, very has the movie. Sorry. The city has a character, sort of like the Warriors does, or even Escape from New York. It's very 80s in that aspect, where they give the setting its own character. So, before we move on, let's do this here, since we gave a little bit of background already. Mm-hmm. What did you think the budget for this film was? Uh, it was pretty pretty high, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess, but I don't really know about the, what, 10 million? Because I, I don't know when this became a section, but it's just like I usually do see. So you think it's about 10, mil, 10 million? Mm-hmm. The budget for the film was 14.5 million. Mm-hmm. So how much do you think it made at the box office? About five. I don't think it made... It, it made 8.1 million. And because yep. of this, they scrapped the plans that Walter Hill had for this to be a trilogy of films, which from what I understand is perfectly fine because he did not get along with his main actor of the films. Yeah, this movie wasn't a success when it came out, but it it kind of became a, here we go, a cult classic. And as we can just tell by all the influence it gave off, that it was actually very successful later on on things like, I guess, cable and home video and all that. So now with that out of the way, mm-hmm. what are your general impressions of this film? This was a movie I did not see until later on it's not a movie i even really knew all about i knew about every actor in this movie including michael perry before even seeing the movie but i heard everybody mentioning the movie well if you like this and that and that you should see this movie and i have to say it though it's exactly the type of movie i would have liked and it's a movie i wouldn't it's one of those movies like uh what was that one small uh small toy soldiers where Randy said, this is a movie that actually existed. And I told him, no, it doesn't exist. Nobody would have made this movie. And it does exist. It is exactly the type of thing I would have expected to to be made in that era that I didn't know was made. Yeah. And that's pretty much what the experience was. I thought the movie was, was totally fine. Um, I really liked the movie. I, I, I was aware the movie existed. I had heard of it before in the past. Mm-hmm. Never seen it, but I had mm-hmm. heard of it in the past. It's just it's, it's something that has popped up in, in the conversation around certain things uh, before, and it's just simply it's like it's something that I'm aware of. It's mm-hmm. like I've seen a lot of Michael Perret films. Yeah, like I'm a huge fan, a huge booster of Eddie and the Cruisers. I come from that era of seeing it on like television, so it's like yeah, I know who Michael Perret is. We watched the Philadelphia Experiment earlier in the year. Yep, well, yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's it's um. Yeah, like I said, it was a fine movie. It was, it was, it was. Mm-hmm. You can, I can see the influences. Yeah, so it came a lot of things came from uh, this movie, and a lot of different parts of it ended up in other things. Like I said, there's a lot of things that end up in cyberpunk after this movie, which and this isn't even a cyberpunk movie, but it influenced a lot of things, like the look, obviously, including the uh, the poster of the movie is very uh, iconic. A lot of people, like the proto men, even use that. As I said, it's a, it's a good movie, and if you like these sorts of fable, rock and roll fable type movies, there's not a whole lot like like it out there. But that out of the way, you might as well just get into the, uh, what do you want, highlights or lowlights? Let's do the highlights, but I'd like to apologize if you hear anything funny on the mic, my furnace just turned on. <laughs> um, that happens. It happens, I apologize, usually in advance I'll turn everything off. 
Yeah, well, we missed this one. So yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll go first this week. the The highlight of the film for me was mm-hmm. uh, well, I like the music. I like the the aesthetic. I like I like the way everything gels together. Mm-hmm. Oh, one thing we forgot to mention about the music, especially the two main themes that uh, Ellen Aim and the attackers play are by Jim Steinman of Meatloaf fame. Again, yeah, it's so. all very new wavy. It's mm-hmm. all very there's rockabilly in here. There's regular rock. It's very obviously rock and roll fable. They use a lot of different styles of rock for the movie, and different groups as well. Because uh, one of the groups shows up later. Yeah, my highlight of the movie is I like the entire mood of the movie. It's very unique. It's very rock and roll without having to be a musical where everybody just you know breaks in a song all the time. They nailed the feel of a sort of well, you said it before, action, neo noir, all these sorts of things in one one setting. There's not a whole lot of movies that feel like this movie does. It's it hits the it hits the feel of a like Star Wars of a futuristic past. Hmm. Yeah. That's and that's comes with the whole setting of another time, another place. Nineteen nineteen fifties by way of nineteen eighties. Yeah. It's obviously like I said. It's not doesn't take place in the fifties. Doesn't play, take place in the eighties. Doesn't take place in any world we know. And Randy said it takes place in the universe of the Warriors, right? <laughs> yeah. Because like I said, it's like the Warriors is a good film. It could, it could very much take place in a movie like that. It's very unique, and like I said, you don't see a whole lot of movies that look like this, but yeah. And now to the low point of the film. Mm-hmm. Michael Perre. It's like I... he it, This is his most wooden performance I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. He is not a great actor. No. You can really tell he's not a great actor. Um... And it's, it's well, he's watchable in here. He's not up to the caliber of anybody else in the film. And kind of detracts from it because his, him being your main lead, you want to like him. But he's too much, like, checked out. Like, he's not doing the work. It's weird, too, because... Because you, that... you like... Because you, you end up liking his sidekick, McCoy. She has a lot of character. Mm-hmm. You end up liking... His sister, who's not in a lot of movies, but she has a lot of character. Mm-hmm. You end up liking Eileen Ames, who's just a damsel in distress. So you can't really say anything about that. But she has a lot of character. Mm-hmm. You have Billy Fish, or like Ricky, Rick, Ricky Moranis. Mm-hmm. A ton of character. And then you have Michael Pere. All my deliveries are very wooden and stiff, and I have no character other than I am angry. At the same time, I can't imagine a whole lot of other people being able to fit in the role to get at the same... They movie. wanted Tom Cruise. He wouldn't have worked. But he, but apparently he 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 was on board for the movie, but then something else came up and he went to do the, something else. Yeah, I don't see him in this role. I don't think it would have come off the same way. That's that's the weird part of the movie. It's one of those movies where you kind of has to come out the way it comes out for it to work. Because if you change even a little bit of it, it just doesn't feel the same. And the uh, the person who recommended Michael Pere after Tom Cruise left out of it, like mm-hmm. dropped out from the whole entire idea of it was the same person who recommended him Eddie Murphy for 48 hours. Hmm. And so it's like, you're going to take it like, that's a good choice. So, okay, yeah, Michael Perret, yeah, he's a, he's a relatively unknown. Let's, let's bring him out. It's like, hmm. fine. And then looking at the behind the scenes stuff, you find out that like, no, Michael Perret got along with nobody. <laughs> it's like, apparently him and the director did not get along. They would have never worked with each other again. He, he didn't like Rick Moranis because Rick Moranis was making fun of him. <laughs> like, like joking, like teasing him, joking with him. Yeah. In character, it's like, and it comes across in the film. It's like he just does not put in it and put in the same amount of work as anybody else. Hmm. But then again, it's hard when you have Diane Lane, who's like a phenomenal actress, 
mm-hmm. with acting with her very limited what she had. Yeah, he's obviously, like I said, the weakest point of the movie, but at the same time, I, I don't really know how you could change it. And make it's not it even, so it's like, usually it's like, oh, he's supposed to be a cipher. He's supposed to be, you're not supposed, you're supposed to be read yourself into him. It's like, he's, just, he's supposed to be your stand-in, but he's just nothing. He's not even that. It's really difficult, but, you know, like, all that aside, I mean, what is your overall rating for the movie? You didn't say your uh, low light. Well, I already said it was Michael Perret. There's really nothing, nothing else to that, that is, like, really, really the lowest point. I give the movie a three. It's like, I, 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 I really? think it's a ter- totally fine movie. It's like, I would recommend people see it. But I I can understand, it's not the cult classic thing, like, moniker doing my usual pushing it down. No, it's just simply... I don't know. There's something lacking to the film overall. It's like it's not as strong as other Walter Hill works. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as much that. as I like the aesthetic and stuff, it's just like I said. There's there is just that something missing from it. Mm, I don't know about that. I fully disagree. I give this one a five. I love this movie a lot. I never saw this one growing up or anything like that. It's a movie I I only saw within the last few years, and uh, it's really up my alley. I like everything about it. I'm not crazy about Michael Perret's performance, mind you, because he's, he's even done better in other movies, but other than that, there's nothing really I dislike about the movie. I like it a lot. It's and, like, yeah, I'm not chomping at the bit to see it again. It's like, I don't need to run out and get the, the Shout Factory release of, Blu-ray release of this. Uh, it's, like I said, I enjoyed it. It's something mm-hmm. that would, if it was on television, I might say, you know what, I'll put it on and I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm not, not going to watch this movie 52 times for a year. <laughs> I wouldn't do that with any movie, to be quite honest, but I'm not crazy, so there's that. I'm not going to watch it uh, a couple of times a year like Ninja 3 The Domination. It's like, it's 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 it's, it's just one of those movies that are just like, it's totally fine, and I can see why it didn't mm-hmm. hit as hard as they were hoping, um, which is why we never got the sequel, which would have been set in the desert, and then they said their final one was going to be set in the snow. Like, they, they had, the first was the city, the desert, and then the snow. I'm not even sure what they would have done with that, but would have been interesting to think about. Because it was supposed to be his trilogy. Because it was supposed to be what Walter Hill and uh, Gross... I can't remember his first name at the moment. I checked my phone. But mm-hmm. uh, they, they they wanted to create something that was based on the stuff they would thought would be the best... Their fate, their best type of movie as, as teenagers. Yeah. They wanted to make a comic book movie, but without not based on any comics because they don't like comics. Mm-hmm. And that's what they set out to do. And they didn't really hit all the notes on that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like I said, when it didn't quite... I guess you could say the bomb, basically, since it only made a little over half of its budget. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, most of what it made was after that. That's, a, that's kind of a common story with a lot of 80s movies. They didn't always hit out of the gate. They made most of their money back later. Or they wound up on HBO or on television a lot, being mm-hmm. replayed. On cable and stuff, yeah. So there's not a whole lot of other trivia other than that, then, right? Yeah, a lot of the trivia is just simply Michael Parade didn't, didn't get along with anybody. Alright then. And that and, and uh, Diane Lane was 18 years old in this film. Oh yeah. She was in uh, The Outsiders too, right? Yeah. A few years before this. Or wait, was it a year before this? A year before this. 83, yeah. Okay. She was in 10 films by the time she starred in this film. Jeez. That's crazy. At the age of 18, she was in 10 films. Dang. Alright. Um, and I guess uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, that one now. Uh, We'll see you next time when we continue our cruise to the Canon Catalog. I'm JD. And I'm Randy, and this was uh, yet another exciting edition of the non-canonical adventures of JD and Randy. And we'll see you next time, folks. Goodbye. Goodbye.
now, from the creators of 48 Hours, Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire.